0: Peter Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elstrom. she spent a terrible winter, practically alone, in an isolated fort on the Texas coast. Starving, sick, fighting off Indian attack, and even having a baby. Along the way, and in the years after, she became renowned as the Mother of Texas. This week, we talk about Jane Long. But first, what's your favorite comic book story set in Texas? I'm going to go with The Fall of the Mutants, which
1: was uh, the late 80s, one of the first early big X-Men crossovers. And this is a Native American chaos god tries to rip a hole in time and reality in downtown Dallas. Dallas. And the X Men sacrificed their lives to stop them. Uh, there's also a related story to this right before uh, this story arc happens, where uh, Todd McFarlane, who later created Spawn, he drew an issue where Wolverine fights the Gray Hulk uh, in the middle of a snowstorm in Dallas. So uh, that was a really cool comic book and turned out to be worth a lot of money. And I gave it away to somebody. Uh, but the follow the mutant story I thought was always cool, just because they were in Dallas. They fought a tyran- Tyrannosaurus Rex in. in the Galleria,
0: um, <laughs> which you, is strange. Can you put a price tag on the gift of reading? No. no. Yes, you can. Comic books, you can. Oh, well, comic! <laughs> <laughs> is it is it mint board and bag? <laughs> uh, well, you know what? <laughs> comic books are for kids. Uh, that's not true. But what is fun is the new Blue Beetle from a few years ago is actually named. Jaime Reyes, of El Paso. So we're going to flip to the DC world. Uh, And in fact, a fun fact is that in Batman Brave and the Bold has featured the Blue Beetle in a number of episodes, and that Batman is voiced by Diedrich Bader, who is in only one of the greatest films ever filmed in Texas, Office Space. Bader (laughs) Man!
2: There is a Vertigo comic series called Preacher that largely takes place in Texas. And it's an amazing work of fiction by some men with some very interesting imaginations. And uh, I love it. Not for kids.
0: Not for children
2: at all. No. But what I'm always going to remember from comics in Texas is that at one point back in the 80s, in the G.I. Joe comic series, uh, Cobra Island, the, the Cobra terrorist paramilitary organization had their headquarters on an island in the Gulf of Mexico, actually not too far from Galveston, if I recall. And there's one particular scene that I remember where one of the characters is singing the old Glenn Campbell song, Galveston, while driving across the causeway.
0: And, so, and, If I recall, I think that somehow they, they raise some yeah. of the seafloor to create an island. Yes, yes. but it, it just, was in the Gulf of Mexico. It was far and enough and offshore.
2: You could get there by taking a shrimp boat from Galveston
0: Island. So that's what I'm always gonna remember. Jane Wilkinson was born on July 23rd, 1798 in Charles County, Maryland. She was the 10th and last child of Captain William Wilkinson and Anne Herbert Dent. Some sources state that her father was the brother of General James Wilkinson, an important army officer in the early years of the United States, who was famous for having plotted treason with Aaron Burr and spied for the Spanish empire was also an important figure in filibustering efforts in Texas in the early 1800s. Jane's father died when she was less than one year old, and she, her mother, and her nine siblings were supported by her uncle. In 1811, Jane moved with her mother to Mississippi Territory, but her mother died the following year. At that point, Jane went to live with her older sister, Barbara, near Natchez.
1: Barbara's husband, Alexander Calvert, was a reasonably prosperous farmer in the Natchez area, and he served as a militia captain during the War of 1812. In early 1815, when she was 16, Jane met Dr. James Long, a physician who came to Natchez after serving under Andrew Jackson as a surgeon at the Battle of New Orleans, possibly alongside Calvin. Long was only five years older than Jane. They quickly began courting, and by May 1815, they were married. By the next November, the couple had their first child. Long established a practice in Port Gibson along the Mississippi River, and he maintained a plantation not far from nearby Vicksburg. In
2: 1819, Secretary of State John Quincy Adams negotiated a treaty that averted an impending war between the United States and Spain over the status of the border between the Louisiana <laughs> Territory and Texas. This was called the adams onis Treaty. In previous episodes, uh, we have talked about how this treaty created almost as many problems as it solved, because many Americans, especially in the Mississippi and Louisiana territories, were convinced that Thomas Jefferson's Louisiana purchase at the least extended to the Natchez River and in many people's minds all the way to the Rio Grande, if for no other reason that they wanted it to be that way. In addition, the ongoing conflict in Mexico over independence had already sucked in American adventurers who wanted to maybe help Mexico achieve its independence and then maybe help themselves to Texas. These filibusters, as they were called, used American territory as a base to hatch their schemes. Natchez became a hotbed for rabble-rousing both against the adams onis Treaty and in favor of
0: filibuster efforts. This was the atmosphere that the Long family found itself in, and James, a prosperous doctor, planter, and war veteran, got caught up in the middle of it. Somehow an expedition was formed in Natchez to go seize Texas from Spain in the name of the Mexican Revolution, or... You know, just because they kind of wanted it. And Dr. Long, by virtue of his speechifying and his enthusiasm, got himself elected commander. 200 men signed up, including young Jim and Rezin Bowie. It was estimated that only two to 300 Spanish troops occupied Texas, and they were convinced that the pirate Jean Lafitte would help them. They set out from Natchez in June 1819 and captured the town of Nacogdoches in East Texas. Long declared a republic with himself as president. Their Declaration of Independence established freedom of religion, free trade, and a free press. They also set up the first English-language newspaper in Texas.
1: This whole thing was glorious, and it lasted a whole three months. Lafitte declined to help the New Republic, even though he promised that he would consider it. Evidence suggests that he actually told the Spanish about Long's invasion. By September, Long's little army was out of food, and most of his men left for home. In October, a force of 500 Spanish troops arrived in Nacogdoches, and they chased Long's army back across the border. A few of his men were at Anahuac on the Galveston Bay, and they set themselves up across the bay in a small stockade on Bolivar Point, which is just
2: across the water from Galveston Island. For whatever reason, people were still keen on Long and felt he still had what it took to free Texas. He raised more money and recruited 300 men to reinforce his small force still in Texas on Bolivar. This time, he took Jane and their young daughter, as well as a Mexican revolutionary named Felix Trespalacios and an adventurous frontiersman named Ben Milam. They arrived in Texas in 1820 and set up their new government, though there wasn't much for them to do. Trespalacios wanted to invade Mexico proper and took off with a number of the expedition's men, including Milam. Long still intended to liberate Texas. For whatever reason, they still trusted Lafitte and depended on him for supplies. However, in May 1821, the US Navy shut down Lafitte's pirating operations in Galveston and Long's men started drifting off again due to the lack of supplies.
0: Men kinda like to eat. Long knew he had to do something, so in September 1821, he led most of his men to attempt to capture one of the strongest but least defended posts in Texas. The Presidio at Goliad. He left behind a few men to guard his wife Jane, who was expecting another child, their six year old daughter Anne, and a slave girl named Kian. She vowed to remain at the fort until his return, but she did not know she would never see her husband again. Long's force was defeated by the Spanish and he was taken to Mexico City. While he was there, Mexico gained its independence from Spain, but he was not allowed to leave the city, as it was feared he would continue his efforts in Texas against the new Mexican government.
1: Jane steadfastly remained at Bolivar Point through the winter of 1821-1822. As the supplies ran out, the last remaining men left the fort, taking with them the last barrel of flour after begging Jane to come with them. Gee, that's nice. Please come with us. No, well, we're taking your food. Now, they did leave her some rifles and some ammunition, as well as the fort's cannon. Jane and her servant, Kian, shot birds and game until they ran out of powder. They fished until a large redfish swam off with their only hook and line. After that, they lived on oysters and the roots that they gathered. Now, the trio kept the Caronqua Indians who lived on Galveston Island at a safe distance by regularly raising a red dress that Jane owned onto the flagpole. And once, she shot off the cannon to scare the Indians off.
2: In December 1821, Keon became sick with pneumonia and could provide little assistance to Jane, who was nearing the end of her pregnancy. On December 21st, Texas experienced one of its coldest nights ever when a blizzard blew in and actually froze Galveston Bay solid. That night, Jane gave birth to her daughter, Mary James Long. The next day, Jane and Ken walked out onto the frozen Galveston Bay and dug holes in the ice to scoop out frozen fish, which they then brined and lived on until the bay thawed and they could harvest oysters
0: once again. Jane's ordeal continued through the spring into March, and the little family of four came close to starvation. One day Kean ran back from gathering firewood to tell Jane that she'd seen some white men. When Jane went out to look for them, she saw a redfish tangled in a line, the one she'd lost the year before. She caught the fish, and it was the first food she'd seen in three days. A few days later, the men returned along with several ships which appeared off the point. They asked if she was Mrs. Long, and provided her with some supplies. Soon afterwards, an American named Smith, who'd settled across the bay on the San Jacinto River, arrived and begged her to return with them. She refused, so he left his daughter Peggy to help her and left to arrange more provisions. The next day, another ship arrived, and the captain convinced her to let him take her to Matamoros and
1: arrange transport to rejoin Long in Mexico City. However, they both soon learned from another passenger that Long was thought to be finally returning to Texas. So she went back to the fort. The next day, Peggy Smith's brother arrived, and they together, they finally convinced her to come with them to their father's farm. It was there that a letter finally arrived for Jane, telling her that James had been killed in Mexico City, shot either by mistake or intentionally by a Mexican soldier on sentry duty in the street. Jane was heartbroken. She traveled alone to San Antonio to meet with her husband's old ally, Felix Trespalacios, who was now the governor of Texas. She wanted to ask for a pension that would be due to her husband, who was a hero of the revolution. After many months of waiting, she left disappointed, and she returned to Natchez with her children
2: in Cayenne. However, Texas wasn't quite done with Jane Long yet. Little Mary died in 1824 while she was living in Natchez with Jane's sister and brother-in-law, the Calvets. She'd lost another child, Rebecca, between the first and second expeditions. In June of that year, Alexander Calvert decided to move to Texas as part of Stephen F. Austin's old 300 colony, and Jane, Ann and Ken all came with the Calvets back to Texas. This time they came as settlers and not uh, filibusters. She received title to a league of land in Fort Bend County and a labor in Waller County from Austin on August 24, 1824, to which all settlers were entitled. She didn't live on the land, however— preferring to live in Austin's capital of San Felipe until April 1830, when she took Anne to school in Mississippi. They lived with another sister, Anne Miller, until January 1831, when Anne Long married Edward Winston, a native of Virginia. So if you do the math, Anne was born in November of 1816, married in January 1831. She was 14 years old when she got married. 1830s. (laughs) The newlyweds and Jane took their time coming back to Texas, where they arrived in May of 1831.
0: The next year, Jane bought W.T. Austin's boarding house at Brazoria, which she operated for five years. At that time, Brazoria was the primary port for newly arriving immigrants from the United States. The hotel soon became a focal point for social and political activities in Texas. In 1835, when Stephen F. Austin returned from 18 months of imprisonment in Mexico, a dinner and a ball was held at her hotel, In his honor
1: throughout her long and active life in texas jane became the object of many admirers and according to family legend some would be suitors she was a handsome woman of property and she had a historical pedigree that few of her contemporaries possessed her quote special friendships included by some accounts ben Milam, william travis sam houston and mirabeau lamar lamar was greatly interested in her knowledge of early texas history and his personal historical collection contains a number of anecdotes that he recorded in speaking with her. There is a particularly interesting family folklore and local legend which has sprung up about her relationship with Stephen F. Austin, but there's little practical evidence of any real romance between them. But regardless of who the suitor was, Jane rejected all offers of matrimony,
2: preferring to remain the widow of Dr. James Long. In 1837, Long, by today's standards still young and only 39, moved to her league of land in Fort Bend County. She sold a portion to Robert E. Handy to develop the town of Richmond, which became the county seat of Fort Bend County within the new Republic of Texas. Jane opened another boarding house and also developed a plantation two miles south of town. She bought and sold land, raised cattle, and grew cotton with the help of her slaves. Her plantation was valued at over $10,000 in 1850. Kean remained with Mrs. Long until the end of her life, long after she'd gained her freedom. Kean married and had many children, and her descendants
0: today still live in the Richmond area. After the Civil War ended, she continued to work the land with tenants and briefly experimented with sheep. In 1870, she lived by herself next door to Anne, who had married her second husband, James S. Sullivan. Anne died in June of that year, leaving the care of Jane to the grandchildren. By 1877, Jane was unable to manage her diminished estate valued at only $2,000. She died on December thirtieth, 1880, at the home of her grandson, James E. Winston, and was buried in the Morton Cemetery in Richmond, Texas. In 1936, A centennial marker was erected in her honor in Fort Bend County, and today there are numerous schools throughout the state named after her.
1: On her gravestone is inscribed Mrs. Jane H. Long, the mother of Texas. Now it's unknown where this name and appellation came from. Popular legend is that Mary Long was the first Anglo child born in Texas, but Spanish census records show that numerous children were born in Texas between 1806 and 1820 to Anglo parents. Even so, though, her reputation as the steadfast widow of the last filibuster and as a patron of so many of the early leaders of the Texas Revolution and the role of her boarding house as a focal
2: point for political activity is what could have cemented that status. I mean, honestly, I'm – regardless of everything else, um, I'm still trying to wrap my head around a Galveston Bay that was frozen solid.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because you grew up on Galveston Bay. Yeah, so.
2: and that that's not something I remember – being discussed very much um i know it never got that cold when i lived there um so yeah so i
1: mean it was i've seen it described that this was the coldest day in ever in texas and i would say probably the the coldest historically recorded day but it would have to be that cold
2: yeah you have frozen
1: the whole bay of galveston bay galveston bay even back then it's been it's been enlarged in the last century and even then it was still huge how yeah, must it have I, I been
0: can't. in in How must it have been anywhere else north of Galveston? Then
1: <laughs> how awful <laughs> must it
0: have been everywhere else?
1: Like the Brazos yeah. must have frozen.
0: Polar yeah, vortex. My it's, big toe.
1: Yeah. yeah, that it that it was so cold that it flash froze fish.
2: Yeah, I'm going to make a note that I need to research that because that sounds like it'll be an interesting story in and of itself. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, just everything that uh, Jane Long went through, you know, toughing it out in Bolivar. Yeah. Um, kudos well, to her.
1: Well, we we talked about Jane Long way back, way back, way back when, when we talked about uh, we had an episode back in our first season, uh, and it was uh, about the filibusters, and we briefly mentioned Jane Long. But uh, I've got some more detail on her experience at the stockade in Bolivar. Uh, from a book that a very kind listener sent us, uh, Melanie Wiggins. It's a book that she wrote about, called, they made their own law stories of the Bolivar Peninsula. And Melanie was a native of the Bolivar Peninsula. And she's written a number of books uh, about her family land there. Uh, and a number. So this book is, and she actually wrote a book about the uh, U-boats in the uh, Gulf of Mexico during World War II. But she sent this book to me, and I've had it for a while, and I had just started reading it. And second chapter is about Jane Long, so I thought, hey, Melanie, we appreciate it. You gave us the a subject for another episode. Um, so uh, I would known about the story of Jane Long for a long time, but gosh, this, the, the experience that she had in that winter is just remarkable. And it, it, what I read was, is that uh, Melanie stated that, that uh, Kyan was too sick to help Jane deliver the baby like Jane delivered her own baby in the middle of a blizzard by herself, taking care of a daughter and a sick servant. So remarkable, remarkable experience. Yeah. And and just imagine her boarding house, you know, her boarding house must've been something else when you've got Stephen Austin there and probably, and William Travis and you got Ben Milam, you got all these people, uh, you know, speechifying against the Mexicans and against Sandy Annie and, and uh, and she's telling them to keep it down and then wipe your boots and don't tramp mud on my on my clean floor. Oh my you know gosh. that's that's what I picture.
0: Uh, see, here's the thing: I wish the History Channel would instead of trying to film something that makes everything look like Arizona, just get a little piece of land near Houston, build some historical buildings, and just make a mini series <laughs> about Jane Long's boarding house, like have you. <laughs> Every week you have a oh it's great it'd be like drunk history every week you have a, a famous celebrity come in playing you know uh, hey hey I'm 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 Jim Bowie or hey I'm you know hey here comes old Sam Houston or here comes old Ben Milam and you know oh, like it's Jack Black everybody and there's a lot of clapping and then we all get excited <laughs> about it but do you could build so much around this woman this woman experienced so much in her life we talked about it before when we talked about um, we talked about Lamar and their relationship and, and how she was friends with people. She's buried a few maybe two miles from uh the house where my parents live right now in Richmond, Texas. Yep. And there's a the Morton graveyard and there's Morton Road, there's Morton League Road, there's a bunch and it's the Morton Cemetery she's buried in, who was an early uh prospector in the area, but and right there by the Brazos River and in right in downtown. It's a um interesting it's it's a fertile area for texas celebrities to have passed through that spot where she ended up at but the question becomes is it was it because she was there and attracted these people to her or did she simply go where all of the texans were at
1: No, yeah, i mean she was she was there she was right in the middle i mean san felipe was the center of anglo texas so you know in, in so many ways san felipe and Gonzales both were this, you know, the capitals of the two big, biggest colonies, Anglo colonies in Texas. So I would say that, you know, part of it is, yeah, you know, she was in San Felipe and that was where all the action, a lot of the action was. So. But she was apparently quite a magnetic lady. Yeah.
2: Mother of Texas, uh, regardless of its origin, seems to um, fit her rather well. Yeah, I agree. Oh, and also. The involvement of one of our favorite um, adopted Texans, Jean
0: Lafitte. Oh, yes. Lafitte. Yes, yes. yes we, that was a fun episode. Uh, yeah, don't don't. Jean Lafitte. <laughs> How about that? If only we could have had Creed Taylor in this one.
1: I would wager that Creed Taylor probably did indeed stop by the the, the boarding house at
0: some point in his life. Probably, probably did. That guy was everywhere. And that wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We love hearing from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. You love this show, so get out there, tell your friends about what we're doing, and leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas... Texas wants you anyway.